let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC. So our friend Jessica Sidman is a food editor for The Washingtonian, and she just came out with her list of what's in and what's out in the DC restaurant scene this year. I gotta say, some of the pigs are controversial. So we are gonna grill her today, so to speak. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I'm Bridget Todd. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. All right, Bridget, I don't know about you, but I have a bad case of Sidmania today because our friend Jessica Sidman is here today to talk about in and out in restaurants in 2023. Jess is the food editor for Washingtonian. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Jessica, you have been writing about food in Washington for as long as I've known you, which is a long time. And you've made up a list for the beginning of the year going forward about what is happening with restaurants. It was a big news year last year. But let's get into this. One of the things I thought in my nerdy DC native way was interesting was you said the wharf is out and Georgetown is in. That is, it flies in the face of conventional wisdom. Defend yourself, my friend. Yes, this was the one I thought was the most controversial as well. When we talk about Georgetown dining in recent years, it's kind of been two things. It's um, either which celebrity is eating at Cafe Milano or Fiola Mare, or the debate of uh, baked and wired versus Georgetown cupcake. Obviously, baked and wired better. Uh, but you know, there hasn't been a lot of excitement in Georgetown, with a few exceptions. But Looking at the list of what's in store for 2023 and just some recent openings in the last couple of years, there's some action happening in Georgetown. I'd say probably the, the splashiest opening coming is a second Steven Star restaurant with California celebrity chef Nancy Silverton. That's going to be an Italian restaurant and market in the former Dean and DeLuca space. And yeah. For people who don't know, will you explain who Steven Starr is and what his deal oh, is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Steven Starr is the owner of Le Diplomat, obviously massively successful French restaurant where you can spot countless VIPs in Washington. Uh, he's originally from Philly, has tons of restaurants there, but also in New York just kind of a hit maker all around. Seems like whatever he does turns to gold. And I assume this will be no exception. So what else is coming to Georgetown? Another recent, more local kind of exciting opening is Yellow Cafe from Michael Rafiti, who's a local talent. He has a Middle Eastern Mediterranean 11 restaurant in Navy Yard called Albi. I think one of the hottest restaurants to open in the last few years. And he's really a chef to watch. So the fact that he 
just opened in Georgetown, I think says a lot. And as for the wharf, you know, the wharf, I, I do feel a little bad saying that the wharf is out because there is actually a lot happening at the wharf. I forget the exact number that's happening in phase two, more than a dozen new restaurants coming. But to me, a lot of them are out of town concepts, replicates from elsewhere that are just migrating here. So it doesn't feel as exciting. A lot of it's really expensive. I just feel like the, the energy, I want to go eat in Georgetown. I never thought I'd say that. So the conventional wisdom for years has been Georgetown is full of like tourists and very old people. And it is not a place where like creative and exciting food stuff happens. What has changed? Well, okay. I've been talking to some real estate folks about this, and I think there was kind of a clean slate that happened a bit with the pandemic. You had rents really going through the roof in Georgetown leading up to the pandemic. You know, everything was a big chain. Things were rarely open. And when they were, they were really expensive. But the pandemic shut down a lot of places and suddenly there was this opportunity to kind of rethink the character of Georgetown a little bit. And some of the rents did become more moderate. You know, some of the landlords were thinking, what can we bring in that will add a little more characters, not just another replicate from out of town? I was a little skeptical of you saying that Georgetown was in, but I took my parents to Blues Alley, which is in Georgetown around Christmas time. First of all, it was standing room only. I was really surprised that the crowd was much younger than I was expecting. Like Mike said, I have an association of Georgetown as like the place where you go to dinner with your parents. I was going to dinner with my parents and I kind of couldn't believe how on a Saturday night, how lively it was for a neighborhood. It definitely seemed like something was different. And as somebody who has taken my parents to Georgetown, Many a time, it felt different this time around. I am like geeky about urban real estate and development and stuff. And how much is that driving this? That Georgetown was was not considered sexy, had the disaster of the pandemic, as everywhere did. Rents came down. At the same time, the wharf is the hottest place in town and 14th Street's red hot. And so if you are starting something cool that's not a chain and doesn't have like a big corporation behind you, it's just easier to do it in Georgetown. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned 14th Street, but uh, the same uh, real estate brokers that I've been talking to are saying, actually, 14th Street is kind of Georgetown now where the rents have gotten too high there. Local talent really has been priced out and they're not looking to do deals on 14th Street as much anymore. Jessica, the last time that you and I spoke, we were talking about the 22% service charge in D.C. I know you've done a ton of reporting on this since Initiative 82 passed in November, and we're going to be seeing this gradual phasing out of the tip minimum wage. How are you thinking that restaurants are going to be adjusting to this? Like, what are you seeing? Right. Okay. So on my list, I said out 20% tip in 22% service charge. I think one of the more immediate changes that we're seeing from Initiative 82 and that we were already seeing even before that was that restaurants were adding on this fee. I mean, Initiative 82 is essentially going to triple the labor costs for restaurants over the next five years. 
And the easiest way to make up for that is a service charge. Yes, they could raise prices or do a number of other things, but restaurateurs actually surprisingly hate the idea of raising prices. And I think psychologically for diners, the sticker shock is too much. So a lot of them are just saying, you know what, we'll add on this service charge and we'll make up the money that way. I will say there is something about dining where you get that service charge. And there's always the person at the table who's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this service charge? Is this the tip? Like, what is this? How do you think that restaurants are going to be navigating that eventual confusion from folks who are have a lot of questions about what this number on their bill is? Yeah, it is really confusing. And the difference between a service charge and a tip is that the service charge belongs to the restaurant to use however they want. The phrase service charge is not a very accurate phrase because it doesn't have to go to service staff. Every restaurant theoretically could be using that money however they want. I think that restaurants would do well to be as explicit and transparent as possible on their menu and their website to explain exactly where that money is going. And if it's going all to staff, let people know if it's going to front of house staff, to back of house staff, to health insurance. I think diners want to know that information. What I've found is that most people do not tip on top of a 20% service charge and most restaurants would not expect them to. But there is often a tip line. And uh, if you find the service and experience exceptional, an extra 5 to 10% is appreciated, but totally optional. Well, I wonder, like, what does it mean for servers and where they actually prefer to work or want to work? And could you see there being the service charge and also wage theft going on on top of that? Like, how is it impacting servers? I've heard a mix. Part of the argument for Initiative 82 was that this is going to create more economic stability. You know what your paycheck's going to be. There's less opportunity for wage theft because you are always making the minimum wage. You don't have to worry about whatever calculations are happening with the tip credit. But there are other people who've been making far more than the minimum wage to begin with, $30, $40 an hour, who think this system is unnecessary, that this actually limits their earning potential. There were certain restaurants like the Red Hen, Italian restaurant in Bloomingdale that had a service charge during the pandemic. And the service staff said, we want to get rid of this. We prefer it without this system. I don't know what they're going to... This was before Initiative 82, so I don't know if they're going to bring it back. So there are mixed feelings on this. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow! There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. 
Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Wait, let's move on to drinking. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> you yes. say that speakeasies are on their way out and private clubs are on their way in. Can we back up a little bit? Can you explain what the heck both of those things are? Yeah. So I always like to put speakeasies in quotation marks because they are not actually illegal drinking dens, but trendy, you know, hole in the walls with fake doors and expensive cocktails. And actually quite a few of them have proliferated over the last few years. I've been kind of surprised how the faux speakeasy has come back in such a big way. I personally am not the hugest fan. I think it's kind of pretentious, especially when there's a secret password or you know something like that but i guess you could argue private club is even more pretentious but there are a number of people who are doing kind of membership only concepts in the coming year so you know i think that's something to watch and something that we haven't seen and it's not all some is on the high end but some is more affordable too so in both cases though the common denominator is like this, the appeal is like the scarcity and the exclusivity that like, hey, I know about this place that doesn't advertise and you have to give a knock on a secret door or whatever. Or I am a member of this place that like regular people can't go into. And, you know, in both cases, that's a bit of a gross tendency on people's part. But what's the like, what's the interest in it um, on the part of people who actually uh, operate restaurants and bars? Tell me how these private clubs work and why people are starting them. I think maybe part of it is a consistent revenue, actually. And I think also people do want to be the one in the know. They want to have their spot. And this is one way to do that. This is one avenue for that. Wait, so speaking of drinking, I have to, I take, I'm taking a little bit of a personal issue with this. You say that the espresso martini is out. I just had my first espresso martini maybe five months ago. I thought I was so trendy. Like, all the girlies on TikTok are drinking these. I was like, wow, look at me being hip. You say they're on their way out. Explain yourself. <laughs> I mean, I like an espresso martini from time to time. There are some good ones, but... The trend has gone too far. They're everywhere now. Like, it's not, as a drink, a great 
cocktail overall. Like some people do it well, but it's not a, a great cocktail. Um, but now people are just doing it for the sake of doing it. And there's a lot of not so great variations. And I, I'm just ready for the next trend. Let's move on. What do you think is next? Ooh, on the cocktail front, that is a good question. You know, I think we're going to continue to see more kind of esoteric spirits. Uh, There are a lot of really interesting Latin and South American spirits that you're seeing bartenders take advantage of. Um, There's so much creativity happening on the scene. I I think we'll have to wait and see. You know, it's always a, a bit of a surprise what emerges, like, Negroni Spagliato, who could have with Prosecco in it, with Prosecco in it, who could have <laughs> predicted that. You also said that um, that fifteen dollar cocktails are giving way to fifteen dollar non alcoholic cocktails. Right, right. Another big trend is low alcohol and no alcohol cocktails. This I actually was the most controversial thing on the list. I'd say like ninety percent of the comments were about fifteen dollar non alcoholic cocktails. <laughs> But the non-alcoholic cocktail trend really has gotten really big. You're seeing it at any, you know, any serious trendy bar restaurant. They're going to have a selection of interesting drinks that don't have alcohol. And it's not just dry January. I think there's a growing movement. There are so many new zero proof spirits on the market for bartenders to play with. And I think it's becoming more socially acceptable for people to, you know, go out and and order the thing that doesn't have alcohol in it. Um, and there's so many more options. And at the same time, those options are not always cheaper. I mean, sometimes they are, but there are actually $15 non-alcoholic cocktails out there. And the reason is that a lot of these new products on the market, these zero-proof spirits, are actually just as expensive as gins and whiskeys. And also to make up for the fact that there isn't alcohol in the cocktail, bartenders often rely on much more labor-intensive ingredients and infusions. And so that factors into the cost as well. Jess, we always wind up having these like like super in-depth conversations with you. And I wanted, but, and I feel like as a result of that, we wind up doing short shrift to this long list that's pretty wide ranging about DC. I want to put you through a lightning round and just have you explain oh, a no. couple things okay. in here. Out, QR code menu rage. In, QR code menu begrudging acceptance. So are you saying that these things are here to stay? Yeah, they're here to stay. And, and I do think Initiative 82 is a part of that because again, restaurant owners are going to have to cut labor costs or or raise prices or whatever. This is one avenue they can go. You don't have to have as many humans. You rely more on the technology. Um, And so this is something that popped up during the pandemic. And I think now for other reasons is here to stay. You said out charcuterie platters in kebab platters. Where can I get one of these? Kirby Club in Mosaic District from the owner of Maidan, and also another exciting one in Union Market is Yasmin from the owners of Bammy's. So really great little counter, and you can get nice cocktails too. 
but yeah, kebabs in. And you said out butterboards in Ugh. some even dumber TikTok trend. What is the <laughs> dumbest that you can think of for us? Honestly, I try to avoid TikTok, but... Yo, can you imagine if somebody came to your house, you were having a dinner party, and they were like, this is what I brought. It's a cutting board with butter on it, and there's little pieces of bread. We're going to dip, we're going to take the bread, we're going to dip it in the butter, we're going to eat it. You would kick, you would be like, leave. You would end your friendship. This is not the moment where I defend the butter board. So, <laughs> uh, but I, it never ceases to amaze me what dumb things TikTok perpetuates. So I expect something, something even worse. Jess, it's always awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. And before you go, here's some quick news. 100% of Arlington County's government is now powered by renewable energy. This includes government offices, but also things like streetlights, wastewater facilities, and water pumps. 80% comes from a solar farm in Pennsylvania and costs the county the same as buying fossil fuel-generated power. This is all part of the county's goal to make Arlington carbon neutral by 2050. Meanwhile, it looks like you'll need a new way to verify the mileage on a used car. That's because odometer fraud is up 6% in D.C. It's actually a real problem. According to Carfax, the D.C. metro area had around 32,000 cars on the road with fraudulent odometers in 2022. For just a few hundred bucks, sellers can buy tools that illegally roll back the odometer on used cars, allowing them to jack up the price by thousands. So new buyers, be careful out there. And lastly... Maryland weed sales could reach $1 billion within two years after marijuana is legalized on July 1st. That's according to a cannabis data consulting firm. But remember, only adults 21 and up will be able to legally buy weed. That is all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, please write it into the tip line on your next restaurant check, at least if it was a place where you paid a service charge already. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. I'm so excited for Sid Mania. <laughs> Mike is the only person to ever give me a nickname, by the way. That's my, the only nickname I've ever had. Did it stick? Uh, just, just with him, I think. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. We'll see now that, I'm, now that it's on the podcast. We'll see. <laughs>